The last year has brought a lot of change and a lot of new learnings. And from healthcare to poverty to racial justice and more, social good organizations are looking to find new solutions that meaningfully impact these important issues. However, as with any big impact initiatives, that will require that organizations embrace learning from the inevitable failures along the way. That's why today we're bringing back an episode from August 2019 featuring Kate Robinson, Executive Director of the documentary film Failing Forward on the Road to Social Impact. We felt her message around the importance of having a learning culture open to failure is still so relevant today, if not even more so. Please enjoy the episode. Welcome to the SG Engage podcast, where it's all social good all the time. Sit back and relax as the brightest minds from across the social good community engage with trends, big ideas, and best practices to help you drive impact. Welcome to this episode of the SG Engage podcast. I'm your host, Steve McLaughlin with BlackBaud. What's the last thing you failed at? That's one of my go-to interview questions that I've used for probably over a decade now. And I'm always very interested in not specifically what was that project or that thing that someone says they failed at, but how they think about failure and how they think about failure in the context of learning from it and and moving on from there. That's the topic I want to explore in today's episode. And I'm joined by Kate Robinson, who's the executive producer of a new documentary called Failing Forward on the Road to Social Impact. Welcome to the show, Kate. Thank you. Now, this is your second documentary that you've worked on. Could you give listeners a bit of background in terms of why you've been exploring these topics? And in particular, what made you want to do a documentary about failure in the nonprofit sector? Yeah, I mean, well, I'll just start with um, the first film I made, Saving Philanthropy, in 2011. The goal of that film was really to to give examples of how organizations were able to do a good job of managing progress towards outcomes and really being able to sort of use data internally to see if they were making the progress that they wanted to make, what changes needed to be made, what tweaks, and really learn about the people who they were trying to serve. And I I was really excited because this was sort of that film was the culmination of probably a decade of work in the nonprofit industry. It was very kind of personal work for me of really trying to, as an executive director and then as a consultant, to really understand how to do that well, how to really use data internally to determine if progress was being made and what needed to happen, what needed to change in order to get that progress and really help people. So um, anyway, I was uh, very excited to be able to profile these two organizations, demonstrate it worked really hard for a couple of years, like digging down, produce the film. And then very shortly after the release of the film, I realized, and it was actually, I have to give credit to Matt Forty from Bridgespan, who helped me with this realization um, that I had missed the boat in not addressing learning culture Hmm. and not addressing really like the culture of these organizations. The film was pretty didactic and focused on, it was pretty academic, just here's really in a pretty logistical way um, how they're able to 
you know, gather data um, and make assessments and adjustments. And I really but more like from math. a clinical sort of perspective of what's the clinical approach to get to outcomes versus the cultural approach, maybe. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Like the mechanics of it. Yeah. The clinical approach is a great way to put it. And and then once I started thinking about it in terms of the cultural elements that I had kind of overlooked, just um, in terms of what the each executive director was bringing to the table, their relationships with the board and other leaders of the organization, um, some of the relationships with the funders and how extensive the culture really was that supported and enabled that type of internal evaluation and rigor, I had completely missed that and very quickly realized, okay, I really want to make another film that really explores the, the cultural piece, not just this kind of clinical, uh, you know, here's how internal evaluation looks and works. Um, and so, so I really set out to find you know, an organization where I could, uh, that I could use to kind of illustrate uh, learning culture. And it took me about five years to come across an organization that, uh, that was willing to, uh, to really talk in a very transparent and open way. And, and by the way, I think those are key kind of components of a learning culture, you know, about their failures and their learning um, in their journey to use data well to inform their programming. Yeah, there's a certain amount of vulnerability, too, to to want to talk about it to people outside the building about these types of things. Definitely, definitely. There's tremendous vulnerability, and I think that was part of the draw for me in making the film, um, is that there's just so much pressure on nonprofits to at least appear like everything they're doing is working. They're so effective, and so to be able to, they had just tremendous risk to come out and say, well, here's how we figured, you know, figured this out and how we're fi- continuing to figure it out. And, um, and this is where we feel like we could have done things differently. And here's where our big learnings were. And this was really challenging and to be, yeah, totally vulnerable and transparent about those things. And so that happened. So that second film, really, it was November of 2016 when I ran into two folks from LifeWorks who were telling me the story of, well, they had produced a white paper that I had read. And so I was talking to them about how they were able to do this kind of extensive research internally about their population. They had learned a lot about the foster youth who they were serving, and they had published it. It had a lot of policy implications, and I was really impressed with it. Anyway, they said, oh, that's nothing. We were able to take that information and learn that we actually had people in programs where the program was not designed for the characteristics of that population. Like we learned that our workforce program actually had a lot of participants in it who needed counseling or mental health services, but they had come through the door of the workforce program. And so, bam, they're in this workforce and we're not having success. We're getting not good outcomes from our workforce program. We couldn't figure out why they were able to to look at um, descriptive data to see, oh, okay, it's because these folks actually have mental health issues that need to be addressed before we just uh, put them through this workforce programming. Sort of a, a challenge or a, a rock sitting in front of the other rock they thought they were trying to move that was actually what they needed to focus on and, and try and drive change around, which often happens. Right. 
Yes, often. And and that was one of the things that really struck me is how I felt like this was something that I saw a lot in organizations, especially social service organizations, and that it was something that could be, you know, widely applicable to organizations. And in fact, I've seen even, you know, just in Austin where I do some consulting organizations be able to tweak their intake so that they're getting better information about who's coming through the door and better able to connect those people with the right services just based on this story of life work. It sounds like one of the areas you really wanted to dig into as a part of the film is this idea of what does a learning culture look like in in the real world? Could you expand on some of the things you found and and how important having a culture of learning is to uh, a social good organization? Yeah, I think, you know, culture, it is, it's so obtuse and it's complicated. And, um, but I think it, it's really, it's so incredibly important, you know, when you look at organizations, um, especially, but what I learned about learning culture, first of all, is that it is, you can't, it's, it's, inextricable from internal evaluation. A learning culture puts learning as a very key priority for the organization. So learning about whether or not programs are working becomes a huge focus. And you essentially the data is really just a tool in order to answer questions, to learn, and to make decisions about programming. And so what's really, what I think is really brilliant about a learning culture is not just that level of curiosity and the humility that it takes to say, hey, we really don't know. Even if this is an evidence-based program, we really need to be paying attention and taking readings and knowing that we're getting where we want to go. And, um, but it's also about really being able to say, here are the questions that we have and that our clients have about what really works and whether or not we're getting there and to really be able to dive in and explore it that way. So that, so that, so that again, it's not just about the, the data, because we hear so much about data, it, it really becomes, again, just the tool and the, the focus while it's, that's a priority to get the information, um, the focus becomes on really what can we learn for these people who are really trying to help about how to help them better. And using it, like you said, data used as a tool to drive decisions, but the, the human element is still there and it is just a tool, right? It, it's not going to automatically tell you left, right, <laughs> backwards, forwards. You're using it as a as a mechanism to measure are we seeing the change we want or um, what are the, the patterns we need to pay attention to? Well, I just, exactly. I think, and I think that it can be a powerful tool, but it's only as powerful as like the questions that you're willing to ask as an organization, right? And that, and that that should govern really what information or data is being collected. When you have a curiosity as an organization about um, how a particular program might work or the frequency of the services or, you know, the, how long the program needs to be in its duration in order to be effective. And you have very specific questions like that. There's all so much great learning that can happen, but again, it's sort of, it's the willingness to really ask the question and drill down um, about what, 
you know, effectiveness really means for that program. And certainly we know that there can often be resistance in an organization because the the data, the evidence may contradict strongly held beliefs or opinions, right? That uh, I, I want to do it this way or we want to run something a particular way because that's personal preference or opinion, even though the data would say, yeah, that's not right or there's a better way to do this. Right. And I, I think definitely. And sometimes there's great reasons. Like it's a uh, a grant that an organization worked very hard to get for a particular program. Or maybe it's a program that, that the organization was sort of founded on and feels like is integral to what they do. Or, or it's a program that's something that the organization signed on to as part of a collective impact initiative. And then once they get into that programming and they're, you know, saying, you know what, this data that we're gathering for this program isn't really telling us what we need to know. What do we really need? What information do we need in order to determine if this is working the way uh, we want it to? And sometimes that can just be so incredibly difficult when it's, you know, there's just a lot of momentum towards, look, let's just define things the way we we said we would, or let's just define things the way the rest of the collective, we were supposed to do it this way. Yeah, or the of, grant paperwork said we have to do this, therefore we have to do it that way. Exactly. How much of this also did you pick up on that there's the risk or the perceived risk when, when we use phrases like we need to fail fast, and then there's a risk aversion to that by organizations to say, well, you know, but we don't want to fail. Uh, we shouldn't be doing mm-hmm. that. We should be trying to... I often find it's more about fail fast, yes, but learn fast being more important as a way to overcome that, the risk, you know, or the people get uh, very animated very quickly when there's a discussion of failure is a good thing. Right. I mean, I think failure, yeah, I think it's being able to identify the failure, right? And as you suggest, to kind of learn from it. And um, in, in the first film I did, Saving Philanthropy, there's a great example of failure of LAYC, a DC organization, figuring out that a uh, family violence program that they were running was failing. And they figured it out, I believe, in the first six weeks, if not the first nine weeks of the program that was uh, supposed to last, I think, at least half a year. And um, and that's the kind of failure I feel like is so worth celebrating because they were able to identify it using the data they were collecting that people's attitudes, thoughts, and behaviors were going in the wrong direction. And so that's when I get excited about promoting failure. It's really just a window into this conversation about what are we able to identify from the information we're collecting and learn and then change course if that's what needs to happen. Because at the end of the day, so many organizations we're dealing with, we're really trying to help very vulnerable people. And so our services and efforts to help them have got to be aligned with their needs and spot on, effective. And if we're not willing to look at the data that we're collecting through the programming in a very honest way, we're doing a massive disservice and frankly causing harm to people who are the last people who we want to cause harm to. And I mean, there's, you know, just undermining their self-efficacy, undermining all kinds of um, things that, uh, that it just has this snowball which is i think why i get i get excited about failure as like hang on we 
And, you know, we, we have a responsibility here to, to make sure that we're identifying it. And if, and when we can, that's a good thing because we can publish that learning. We can know, okay, this program does not work when it's done this way or for this particular population with these characteristics. We need so much more of that in our sector so that we're not repeating mistakes and causing harm to people who really do not need more harm. Along those lines, what's a potential role that you see for funders in that maybe adjusting perspectives or adjusting how they think about making investments when learning and failure now need to be a, a bigger part of the equation? You know, I, I guess I'll take this opportunity to be very honest about something that's really hard for me to be honest and transparent about in my own journey. That When I was an executive director, I actually had one of our main funders, uh, a great private foundation program officer, come to me and say, hey, Kate, you know, we essentially, the gist of what she said was, we want to work with you. We want to know what you feel like maybe isn't working. We want to understand your strategy and, and strategize with you if there are things that you want to improve. And it freaked me out, honestly. I mean, I was young and I was, but I was, I, I think, you know, but I take responsibility for that. I did not take her up on that invitation. It made me very nervous. I worried what the board would think if I exposed uh, certain elements of what we didn't know, um, or my own that my you know my own um, kind of assessment of what was happening uh, didn't jive with the boards, and uh, what would that present if I was so honest with this funder? So I say that um, now and to everyone in the audience as a way to say that even when we extend an invitation to someone who we have some level of power over to be very honest with us can be very scary. And I, I really think that I, I would have, um, I wanted to take her up on that. It's obviously something over 15 years. I still think about it. I mean, I think that though to, to funders, I would say, even if you think you're being, uh, very, um, uh, you know, extensive in your offer to hear what's not working or to hear the learning, I would say go even a step further. Ensure that it's going to be confidential. Ensure that you it will not affect their funding in any way. Ensure some find a way to really um, to ensure the partnership because as funders, you essentially if just being very candid about it, you have the tremendous power over that grantee. And so I think being mindful of that, we're kind of in a day and age where we're ready to be mindful of that um, in our relationships, uh, that, that, uh, that that can go a very long way. I, I did eventually, you know, I found a way to, I think I, I felt like what was sort of safely communicate some of, some of what I needed to, to that funder. But I do think that for so many grantees, I think it's, it's not clear that there's a lot more leeway and a lot more room now to be very transparent with funders to say, hey, can we put the focus more on what we're learning than just this outcome data that you're requiring or to frame the conversation in a way that's very helpful on the ground that helps you as a service provider know if what you're doing is working 
and then have the conversation with the funder that, hey, here's what we're really looking at in terms of our data, and it would be helpful if we could just share that with you. I think there's a lot of, there's growing receptivity among the funder community. But again, I think the funders have a ways to go in really inviting that in very intentional ways and really, frankly, putting funding behind those invitations to be really transparent about what's being learned and what's working and what's not. Yeah, and Kate, certainly for years we've talked about and heard about the importance of that transparency and and a higher demand, not only that from funders, but from donors as well, that one of the keys to to having more transparency is building that trust, building a, a sense that uh, we can talk about these things and have a transparent discussion because we trust each other and that we, we're all trying to head in a, in a better direction uh, with the programs and, and types of mission work we're doing. I'm so glad you used the word trust because I think trust is what this, what it all comes down to really that, that we're really asking funders to, yeah, have more trust that um, organizations are doing the best they can and as much as they can to learn and improve programs. And then for grantees to really trust that they can be honest about what they're learning with the funders and that they can look at the data that they maybe really kind of don't want to look at to, to see if even a beloved program is working or not. And I think that, that those having trust in those relationships models trust for the clients. So for the people who were really working to serve and to benefit, we're asking them to trust us as service providers. So it's really uh, a way to kind of model that trust and resilience to be able to say, hey, we're looking honestly at whether or not what we're doing is working. We don't have all the answers. And again, I think that humility and the curiosity that can come with it is kind of the real crux of this issue of learning culture. Okay, I think that's great advice. What is the best way for uh, nonprofit professionals and listeners to watch the film? Um, they can actually watch it um, on uh, nonprofitsfailingforward.org. And I'd love to have people watch it and comment. I'd love to have feedback and input. And I'm also happy to do screenings. Um, can come do a panel discussion or a Q&A, and I have workshop curriculum as well that um, I'm happy to do in communities all over. That's great. And we'll uh, we'll post a link to the uh, website as well in the show notes. Kate, so thanks so much for joining us on the program today. And uh, can't wait to hear about your next film. Oh, thanks so much. That's it for this episode of the SG Engage podcast. This episode is brought to you by the letter F. Thanks for listening.